if you've noticed that there are, are few things in life more delightful than a child who is just shining from within this kind of radiant joy. In fact, there are some pictures I thought you could just... These are kids who just... It's just coming from within. I, I bring this up to, to just cause us to think now. We're all really children in the eyes of God, our Father. And as He looks at your life, does He see from it that kind of joy, the radiance, this expression of His goodness and His love and His kindness, this kingdom life that He wants us to express that it seems that Jesus was able to express? How is that working in your life? What does that look like? Today, as we look at the Scripture in Philippians, we've been looking at Philippians, and this chapter specifically in chapter 2, as we get down to verse 12, is very interesting because it actually has kind of a parental tone to it. Paul begins by calling them to obey, and he uses these words, not only in my presence, but much more so in my absence, which sounds like any parent, right? I remember as a kid, I remember my parents, and they put my brother and I, he was two years older, and they were, we were now old enough to be trusted to babysit my sister, who was five years younger, which is always a joyful time in the homes of parents, but there's always a bit of fear and trembling, correct? And I remember those kind of things. Now, it even, you know, act like we are here, we want this house not burned down when we come back. You know, that kind of thing. And so there's this, this parental tone um, where you kind of give those speeches, not only in my presence, but much more so even in my absence, I would like to see you with humility radiate this joy. Paul then goes on in the next paragraph and you continue to see this kind of what I would call paternal, maternal tone. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. So today's passage follows hard on the heels of what we were studying last week when Peter was sharing with us in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, where he was calling us to move into this place where we don't regard our own preferences as greater than the others. He was calling people to begin to do this life in unity together. And so as Peter was speaking, he, I, I thought he had an incredibly good point that we need to remember as we move into this message, and that is this, that we follow not so much, in a sense, the move of God, what we want. Because when we follow a move of God, at some point God's moved in our life in a certain way. We usually get caught up, so not so much in the God who moved, but we get caught up in the, some of the, the external things around it, like the, the certain thing that really meant something to me there. And it's usually methods and other things around that. But he says, what I want you to do is not get so caught up in the move of God, but I want you to get caught up in the God who's moved in you. And in this way, I want you to always be getting caught up so that you're constantly living in humble obedience within God's move in your heart and within this group of people as he's moving, because as you do that, you will move into unity. And so that's kind of the direction he's come from. And so now he moves into this place after he, he shares that and then gives the example, this great example of Jesus who does that, who submits and sacrifices and does all that under his Father's will, moves into the move of what God, is, his Father, is doing, which is a great sacrifice for our sake. And now he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to begin to live this kind of life that happens when you receive 
Jesus, when you begin to open your heart to him. And instead of having external circumstances, instead of having someone's presence be there, instead of God from heaven constantly nudging you, saying, come on, I want you to allow the Spirit of God to live in you, to begin to develop these fruits within you of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I want these fruits to begin to be worked out in your life. And so the very first thing I want you to pay attention to in this first paragraph, when we look at Philippians 2, verses 12 through 14, is what he's saying is, is basically activate the joy that is in you. He's saying, I have put joy within you. The kingdom life, as a result of what God has done through Jesus and through the simple trust in His work, not your work to be saved, but the work He's done in, in coming in and forgiving you, and as you just in simple trust and humble obedience receive what He's done for you, then He says He has deposited His Spirit in you. Listen to what Jesus says. He prays to the Heavenly Father the night He's going to suffer, the night before He suffers and dies. In, in John 17, this great prayer, He says this, I'm coming to you now, Father, or I'm coming to you, Dad. Can you imagine? He's been living away. I'm coming now to you. And then he says in verse 13, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. You go, that's kind of an interesting thing. What's he saying? Well, he's just said to him a little bit before that. He said, I need to go and and you guys should be really happy I'm going. Well, why would you be happy that Jesus, who is your mentor and teacher and example, he's been doing all these things before your life. Now he's going to take off and leave and they're scared. And he said, no, you need to know how important it is that I go because through my sacrifice and resurrection and, and, and through that process, I will then deposit into anybody who humbly trusts me my Holy Spirit. And just think, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You have all the resources. So what he is saying in this first paragraph, I just want you to get the big picture, is activate. You have the resource of the Holy Spirit in you. So activate the joy that he's placed within you. Now look at these verses in verses 12 through 13. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And the the key phrase here is a command. There's three commands in this passage, and this is the first one. And this is a little bit more of a theology, so you need to kind of understand what he's saying here to move into the next one, so it's not just a matter of work, so you begin to understand it's God working in you through your choices. Because if you have trusted Him, He's placed His Holy Spirit in you. And so what He's saying, in a sense, is you need to activate, through your choice, you basically activate the Spirit of God so that He begins to take what's in the seed form of His fruits and begins to develop them as you obey, as you make these choices, as you begin to activate that which is in you, it will begin to express itself. Now, I want you to note here, Paul is saying... Work out your salvation. He's not talking about earning salvation. It's really easy to kind of go, oh, what do I get to do more? And if I do this harder and I do it even more, then, then I'll be saved. No, oh, you're, anybody who understands what Jesus did, what he did on the cross was he did the work for you. So he doesn't say, in a sense, he's not saying to you, work for your salvation. That's not the words. It literally, it, it's not work towards your salvation. He's not saying work at your salvation. He is saying work out that which has been placed within you. And when he says that, he says what's working in you is the very energy of God to, to actually cause your desire and actions 
to be expressed. The words work out actually carry in the Greek the idea it means to work out or to work to full completion, such as when you work out a problem in mathematics. You have this problem and you keep working it out until you come to the full completion in the sense of the answer, the fruit of what that problem is solved. The work also is, this word work is also used in other places. It's work in, in, it's talk about a mine. And when you come into a mine, it's full of this rich ore. And, and what it is that you go in and you take out the richness of all the minerals of that mine. So it's fully been worked out and it's been brought out. Or it's the idea of a farmer with a field who takes the field. And as they work the field, they work it in such a way as they cooperate with their God in heaven. It brings the fullness of the harvest that can possibly be brought. And so in a sense, when you think about it, he's saying you have the ability to activate through your choices, through your will, the great gift that God has given to every person, this ability to choose. And as you choose, his energy works in you. And you, he says, take responsibility for this. Take responsibility for what the Spirit of God has done in your heart and begin to work it out fully. And there's two things he says about that's really important. He says, work it out, not only when I'm present with you. You know, that whole idea, like when the parents are on, then you say, you know, like a kid, shh, mom, dad, come on. You know, not when you think God's watching. Not even when you think, you know, it's not this idea that work it out when, when, when things are good and, and, and when things are in your favor. But when they're bad, you know, it's okay. You know, you can go with your feelings. Now, he's saying work out in every, in every situation. Don't be externally motivated at all. But allow as you, in your obedience, make these choices, it will begin to reform and form your character so that Jesus will begin to grow in you. And the same Jesus who handled all these different situations and has handled adversity and had joy and love and peace and patience will begin to show up in you in his fullness. And then he goes on and he says, and do this with fear and trembling. And you kind of go, what do you mean fear and trembling? Am I supposed to walk around life like this? That kind of doesn't go with joy, does it? The idea of fear and trembling is merely this idea that, you know, whenever, let's say you're standing at the edge of a, a large, you know, a cliff and you're looking down at you, you always approach it with a bit of what? Sobriety and, and seriousness. You don't really want to be playing games foolishly or frivolously around that edge. And so what he, his point is this, what I want you to do is to begin to activate, work out that which God has worked in you, His energy through His Holy Spirit, so that the fullness of the fruits of the Spirit begin to be shown, not when I'm just with you, but so that your character is such that even when no one's looking, even when the circumstances aren't good, even when things aren't the way they should be, even though you don't feel like it, you begin to make these choices so your character becomes strong and this character begins to develop itself and show itself in love, peace, patience, kindness. And you do this with utter seriousness because it's a great gift that he's given you so this is this whole first few sentences that he's talking about here and i want you to note this um, because this is the important part of it as you choose to humbly obey god will empower you for it is god who works in you to actually will it and act according to his good purpose so you begin to realize no matter what's going on, Jesus is, is the king. He's the one in control. No matter what's going on in my life right now, as I make choices, I can choose to allow his spirit to begin to rule in my life in this way. And this is really important because Paul has just finished. If you look at chapter 2 and you look at these verses, he's just given an example. And examples are really wonderful things. He gives the greatest example of all. You can read that example, and usually they inspire us, and, and we have a sense of admiration, and they can kind of get you a little bit charged up. Oh, I want to be like that. But sometimes examples can be kind of difficult and annoying and actually defeating, right? Mark Twain says this. 
Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Well, if someone said to me, Kevin, you know, as I'm watching LeBron James, he goes, wow, isn't he great? You need to be like that in basketball. Or, you know, if you would just hit the ball like so-and-so in baseball, you know, those are good, but I come away going, yeah, not for me. And I think Paul's kind of looking at this. He's given this example of Jesus Christ, and they haven't met Jesus Christ personally, but they see this example of Jesus who is like the Father, and they look at it and they go, you know, this is really good. You're talking about all this stuff, but man, there's no way I'm going to ever be able to work out in fullness to completion of all that he's, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be like Jesus. And he goes, you know what? It's not about the example. It's about the very power that I've placed within you. If you're going to actually allow for that greatness um, to do more than be an inspiration and cause admiration, you actually have to allow that greatness to enter your life. And it takes more than an example on the outside. It actually takes power on the inside. And that's the key thing that Paul is saying here. You have the Holy Spirit in you. If you've asked Jesus to walk with you, He, through His Spirit, enters your life. And now it is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. It is our responsibility as a church to mine all of the richness of what that means in us in such a way that He goes on and now He tells us how to do it. Okay? So you get to this next paragraph. And and now Paul said, okay, I've set it up. You see the example. Now you see that you have the power within you. You can activate joy. In every in any circumstance, and how he tells you how to do it, he gives you two commands, and they're really two sides of the coin. There's a negative command first, and then there's a positive command, because he says if you really want to do it, I'll show you what you need to choose. And so as he goes through this, you'll see if you look at verse 14, he begins and he gives you the negative command. Here's what you need to do. This is command: do everything without grumbling or complaining. And then you look at verse 18, the very end. He says, so you too should be, and it's a command, be glad and rejoice. These are commands that he calls you to do. So if you really want to see the kingdom life of God, the spirit of God completely harvested to its fullness in your life for the sake of yourself and for your family and for those you work with and for this church and for everywhere you go, if you're seriously, you know, utterly serious about this and they want the character, he says, here's two things I want you to do. And I want to warn you, they're not easy things to do. I mean, as I've been, you know, with the elders and and with the staff and we talked about let's make joy a theme this year. Let's talk about joy. God has been working on my heart. It's amazing when you start saying, God, I want to be joyful. It's you ever prayed for, you know, God, help me be patient. What happens? You just like, I can't believe, you know, you like you you see all your impatience. So as you begin to pray this, what will happen is this. You're going to probably begin to see all the grumbling and lack of joy. But here's the wonderful truth. Here's the truth of the gospel. God has, through Jesus, forgiven you. Failure is not that you fail. Failure is to quit and completely give up. What God does is He says, get up and keep walking because in time, as you begin to do this, you'll notice, you'll begin to see these things earlier on and you'll maybe fall. And eventually, His character will be worked out in you. So the first thing, don't grumble. Verse 14 through 16. It's really a simple thing. When you feel like complaining, don't. Stop all forms of it. No more whining. Put a ruthless, you know, be ruthlessly honest with yourself and say, I will not live in self-pity. No more poor me parties. Anybody ever do poor me parties? Well, basically that's got to stop if you're going to do this. 
Do you want to be a person who harvests all of God's spirit within you and have it expressed? You've got to stop. And so when you stop complaining and whining and no longer have these pity parties, here's what you begin to recognize. Here's what's so important about this idea that he says stop grumbling. First, I want you to realize this, and you need to be convinced of this, because if you're not convinced of it, you may not stop. Grumbling is a sin. I mean, it's, it's a sin. I, in fact, I was looking through the Bible, looking at, I mean, how many times do you think God says, go ahead, please grumble? I command you to murmur. Anybody know any places where it says that? It's not one. In fact, I actually went and looked up all the words of like grumbling, mumbling, murmuring, muttering, whining, and all these other synonyms, and there were not one place in the Bible that it was painted with a positive light. Not one. And I began to think about this. You know, grumbling is a sin. Now, do I really take this seriously? For instance, if I was to ask you, do you think murder is a sin? And would you say yes? Well, I'm, I'm worried now. It should be uh, like immediate yes. Let's start back at the Ten Commandments, okay? Forget the grumbling message. You know, if I was to say to you um, something along that line, you'd go, yeah, of course it is. If I was to to actually say to you, you know what, and and ask you, is stealing your neighbor's car wrong? How many would would say that's wrong? Uh, That's better about half of you. Okay. Okay. And for the other, raise your hand. Even thinking about stealing it is wrong. See, we kind of like, that's a no-brainer. You know, Bernie Madoff kind of sins. Ariel Castro kind of things. How? Oh, and we reject it. But grumbling, is that in the eyes of God? It's a sin. And and what's interesting about it is not only, this is what I think, um, here's where the real problem comes with grumbling. It is so natural to us. It just kind of flows right out of our sin nature. It becomes habitual. I mean, think of it, moms. I'm going to talk to moms here for a second. How many moms had to do a, a course in training your child to grumble? Anybody Anybody do some work around here? Let's, I want to teach you a little bit about complaining. I mean, it's just it's so natural. And, and only that, it becomes habitual. And more than likely, they see it in our lives, and then they just repeat it as well. But joy, on the other hand, to actually move into that begins by saying, I'm going to stop that. And joy actually is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit because most people is not about joy. It's happiness. It's always based on external circumstances where joy is this deep sense of I am well in my being, not because of me or anyone else around me, but because of who God is and what he said about me through Jesus. That's it. And when you start to live in the sense of that well-being, that's what joy really is, and begin to understand. And you know what? We get this whole idea of the word gospel wrong. The gospel, we, we've narrowed it down so much to about salvation. And you need to you know, accept Jesus and remember your sins are, are, and, and, and receive forgiveness. The gospel, when it was first pronounced, was the good news. It was like the same thing that would come from the courts of the king in, in, in Rome, where they would say, a king's been born. So when they were going around presenting the gospel, it wasn't primarily just about getting you to say to, to accept Jesus as your Savior. It was about the fact there's a king on the throne who has come and he lives in this world. He lives right now and rules over it. He rules over your hearts and the hearts of other people if you're willing to be a subject. Here's the good news. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in this world, God is sitting on the throne through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He's redeeming all things and He's bringing all things to a good end. And we're all a part of that story and we get to enter into it. Do you want to be a part of it? That's the gospel. And you go, wow. 
You mean that the Spirit of God has been placed in me and I can enter my life into the story of God's life and I can begin to move into that and allow the fullness of who He is through His Holy Spirit, the joy begin to exude out of me to be able to radiate it in such a way that, that this can show up. And He says, yeah, if you choose to quit complaining. You've got to make that a part of your life. And you've got to realize it's a sin. You've got to understand that grumbling is natural and it's habitual. You have to understand this, that whenever you grumble, you're really just expressing discontent to God. Wait a second. It's one of the reasons it's a sin. It's an affront to God. It's saying, God, what you're doing in my life and what's going around here, some way you're holding out. You're not giving me all that I can. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And Eve is standing before the tree. And the serpent comes. And the temptation is this. Guess what? There's this tree here that God says you shouldn't eat. And the reason why is because he's holding out on you. And she goes, wow, I didn't think about that. And then she begins to kind of grumble inside. And she lets that begin to work. You think about it for a second. Grumbling is always just a statement of discontent. You know, we want to say, well, it's, we got this kind of leadership and they're bad leadership, so I can complain about that. I don't care. Even leadership is ordained by God. It doesn't mean you don't fight for right and justice. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying what you recognize is that Jesus is the king. And when Jesus is the king, there is no circumstance to do everything without complaining. You think Paul was living in a good political situation in Rome? He had Nero. He, they were, he was doing horrible things to Christians. Grumbling always is a statement of discontent. And beyond that, here's the thing I think is, is, is not only an affront to God, but here's where I think it becomes... A grievous sin in God's eyes. Grumbling is contagious. It just begins to spread and it just moves through people like a, a little ripple and a little bit here and a little bit there. Eve goes, yeah, God's been discontent and goes to Adam and Adam feels her discontent and grumble and they do that which is wrong. The children of Israel, they've just been, you know, they go through this sea. They've been provided by God. And, you know, the Egyptian army has is, is, is been defeated and they're walking and, and they're, they're hungry. They have no food and they begin to grumble. It says in Exodus chapter 16, 2 through 3, and it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And they said to themselves, I love this pity party. If, if we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt... We'd be in such a better place right now than being alive. Think about it. Think about some of our statements of complaining and pity and all the rest. If I had only died, I'd be much better. And so God does this incredible thing. He provides manna. They have manna every day. They're given something to eat. And then after a period of time, we read in Numbers 11, they start to grumble again. But it's really interesting how this occurs this time. It says in chapter 11, verse 4, that the rabble with them began to crave other food. Which is an interesting statement. There was a rabble, a rumbling, a few who were beginning to grumble and complain because they didn't like the manna anymore. In fact, it says, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna, 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 all the time manna. Wait a second. A few weeks ago, you're complaining because you didn't have anything to eat. Now you're complaining because all you got is manna. Yeah, we want meat. We just had some good red meat. We could kind of hire a cholesterol and be, you know, that kind of thing. Just a little bit of a joke. Anyway, um, all it takes is a few whiners and a few complainers and a, a, 
couple of people begin to grumble, mumble. The word is an onomatopoeia, or however you say it. Anyway, those of you who are, you know the word. It, it sounds like the way it's written. And so grumbling, mumbling, you hear this kind of thing. And one grumbles to another, and a few grumble, and a few more grumble, and a few more grumble. And eventually it spreads through the whole area. Guess what it says in verse 10 of this? The rabble, it says in verse 4, and then verse 10. Listen to what it says. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. I think that's one of the reasons such a grievous sin. Because now God has a family, a church family, maybe some Christians in an office and a whole group of people who are discontent and mumbling and doing anything but expressing the kingdom life that Jesus caused us to know and offers us to activate outside of us from within. And in fact, um, you may not notice this, but in the anointing of Jesus, when Mary anointed him with the perfume, it, we're told in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, it says, they were murmuring against Mary for wasting the expensive perfume. But you know where it began? John tells us in chapter 12, verse 4, Judas was the first one to grumble, and he grumbled internally kind of under his breath. And John, who is always so just open about it, says Jesus wanted to, to sell, supposedly, he said, and give us all the proceeds of the poor, which sounds nice. But then John goes on to say, he did not say this because he cared the least bit about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And he saw an opportunity for something there. What he wanted wasn't going to happen. And so his little grumbling starts grumbling until Jesus goes, stop it. Even what you might not understand that is happening here, God is in. And your, even your emotional your response to Mary is wrong. It's even abusive in that sense, emotionally to her. And a grumbling, complaining, murmuring spirit is contagious. So Paul says, don't even start it. If you really want to activate all that's within you, he says, do everything. Now catch this, when you look at this verse here. Do everything, not some things, not the things you feel like doing, not a few things, but do everything without complaining or arguing. Because complaining always leads to arguing. It's an internal conversation that eventually gets external and brings others into it. And what you do is you think you're arguing maybe against a leader or something else, but in reality, he says you're arguing against God. And so what I think is interesting here is he gives us this negative command and he basically says if you really want to begin to activate, harvest, mine, all of what God has placed in you through the work of the cross so that you can work out what he's worked in, you do it by saying, I'm going to make a commitment not to grumble. I'm going to live in the gospel of the king who says he's in control of all and I'm going to learn to do like we said a few weeks ago, jiu-jitsu, where you begin to start saying, oh, you know what, anything that comes into my life, I can easily, like Paul did, I can take what's coming into my life and I can... Um, I can, with that, um, take control of what I can control and move with God according to what he's controlling. And you can take anything and move it to a positive place. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't grumble. Here's the other side of the coin. Choose joy. Release this joy now in you. And you choose, God will begin to do this. Because have you, anybody, you know, again, with kids, I just think, you know, when you give a, a child a command and they're not really happy to do it, now they can do it, right? You can do it without grumbling, right? You can actually go... 
You know, I mean, and, and what Paul doesn't, what he doesn't want, the kingdom life is not a bunch of people walking around like this, and God's got control of my life. This is really rotten. Ah, you go to work, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to church yesterday, was, you know, I sang, it was fun. Yeah, but I can't believe this and that. You know, you know, have you, ever, you know what I mean? So he basically says, you know, just because you stop grumbling, that's not going to cause anything to change fully. If you want to express the kingdom of life, now you begin to move into this place where the grace of God begins to work in you. And as you begin to do so, he'll begin to. And the first thing he says here is really kind of interesting because he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And and that kind of stood out to me. What does he mean blameless and pure? He's talking about children of God without fault and a crooked and depraved generation. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy, where in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 4 and 5, it says, Paul, Moses is saying, he is a rock. And then he says, a faithful God who does no wrong. And yet they, his children, have acted corruptly toward him, a warped and crooked generation. Disobedience brought shame, and it brought all kinds of guilt, and it, and it brought twistedness and crookedness, and it sees us lose a bentness of character. He says, that's not what I want. And I took a double take on this and I was reminded that what he wants you to do is to respond with the Spirit of God full of grace in a way the world would not even understand. The the kind of things he would say, he says, when someone hits you on the cheek, you turn what? The other cheek. Or in that day, when when a Roman soldier, he had all the right in the world to come up to you. If you were walking on your way, wait, say he's walking this way and you're walking this way. He goes, hey, buddy, I want you to take my pack and I want you to carry it for me for a mile. He had all the right, according to Rome, to do that. And that would happen. And you could do this without grumbling. You could go and be or you could look at him and go, wow, do you need you need some help? Oh, you know what? How about this? How about I don't I can do this. How about if I go two miles? That's the kind of response. It's like when you would say to your kids, they would go, um, you'd say, you know, I want you to pick up your toys in, in the room here. And they go, oh, really? How about if I clean the table? Is there anything in the garage that needs to be cleaned? And, and you know, maybe I could do some work around the grass, get the dandelions. I mean, you'd be going, what's happened to my kid? This is the kingdom life of God. It's the life of God that is all about grace and all about goodness. It's all about His love and His mercy. It doesn't do this out of grumbling in the sense of, oh, God, I'm going to go to... It goes and says, you know what, God, I'm going to enter into this and I'm going to love and serve and out of obedience put aside my preference for the moment and I'm going to serve you in the midst of this adversity, in the midst of this command that doesn't feel pleasant. I'm not going to pay attention to my feelings. I'm going to stop grumbling, and not only that, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to move into grace. I'm going to serve out of the fullness that you have placed in my heart. And when you do that, God activates His Spirit every time you choose to move that way. He empowers you like He powered His Son. And so He goes on, He says, when you start to do this, what will happen is people at work are going to go, what's up with, what's up with Kevin? What's up with Bill? What's up with Susie? Think about it. What, what, what can you say about a person who radiates joy in their adversity? What do you say about an employee who does not complain when carrying out a difficult task? They just stand out, right? They just kind of shine. And so he says, not only do you choose joy, so there's a sense of purity and, and you're, you're with, with almost unadulterated motives, you out of grace and goodness move into this, but then joy begins to just shine. People notice it. They see it. It's just hard to kind of cloak. That's why in in, in verse 15, Paul continues against the backdrop of this crooked and depraved generation, you become a blameless and pure, pure in which you 
shine like stars in the universe. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, where he says, those who will shine like the brightness of the heavens, those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars for an ever and ever. He's saying, even in his day, in that generation, most of the world lived as complainers. We as a nation are a nation of complainers. Where we go, where we live, everything is in the backdrop of complaining. But just guess what? If some people stopped doing that and began to activate what God has placed in them and moved into joy out of full grace and goodness and the life of God began to pour out of them, you would shine everywhere you went. And we don't, I don't think we think grumbling to be too serious because it's so commonplace. We just live in it. And if you think about it, it's a backdrop of, of most conversations. Whether you're at school and you know the professor is really hard and the test was really unreasonable, the reading assignments are just crazy, or you're at work because your boss is just, you know, he's not real smart. I don't know how he got there. And you complain about your employees because, you know, you wish you had some people who are internally motivated and want to really do it. And I got to keep turning their crank or you complain about the customers because even though they're always right, you know, they're really always wrong. I mean, you just think about the place you're on a sports team and the coach isn't really a great coach. His parents, you get upset about, you know, you have all the you complain. Everything in our life and world is a black backdrop of complaining. You know, I've noticed, you know, when I just a few days ago when I turned 40, um, I, well, whatever. Anyway, um, I have some aches and pains. You know what I've noticed? That when I get together with people who are about the ache and pain age, what do you talk about? Anybody here want to confess? Quit whining. Stop complaining. If you can do something about it, do it. And then if you can do something about it and you do it, then start to move into the kingdom gospel and start to live out the joy that God has placed in your heart. Because you know what? If you begin to live that way, not only does it bring purity into your heart and the motives, and you're not manipulating and seeking to do this out of control, you out of grace serve people. And then as out of grace you serve people, you get to stand out. And people go, wow, can you look, look at that? And then what happens is, what you do is, in choosing joy, you give the gospel a hearing like you never would before. People are really interested. It's like he says in First Peter, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, what, you know, how is it? What's this hope that lies within you? What? They're going to ask, what's, what's going on here? Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi. They had just been beaten. They had been, in an unjust way, uh, as, as Roman citizens, not even had their case heard. And they're sitting in this prison, in these prison stocks, and they know that Jesus is king, and they know that all things that happen to them, God has his hand on, and he's in control. So they start praising God. They start giving joy to God. And what happens? There's an earthquake that occurs, and a lot of people, the gospel gets a hearing. Paul's in prison now in Rome. He goes to Rome, Philippi. They're feeling sorry for him. One of the reasons he's writing their letter is because he, he wants to let them know things are okay. He's sitting chained 24-7 to a guy. And he goes, you know what? He didn't plan to go to Rome to be chained to a, a person 24-7. But in that process, he said, God, I guess this is what you want. This is how you're moving. You're the king. I'm not going to grumble and complain. I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to see what you're doing in this. What are you doing, Spirit of God? And as he begins to do that, he begins to choose joy. And as he chooses joy, the energy of God begins to transfer into his life, into the life of this guy next to him, and the life of the next guy. And so these guys who are having eight-hour shifts are going out of there going, you've got to hear about this guy. I'm, I'm hearing things I've never heard before. I can't believe it. He's chained here, and he's got this going on. And, and then Paul says, I just want you to rejoice with me because the whole palace guard is hearing about Jesus. Because one guy chose to radiate joy. 
One guy said, I'm not going to live my life grumbling and complaining and whining and throwing self-pity parties because the rest of the world does it. I'm going to do something that I could never do on my own, but I'm going to do it because of what Jesus did. He's, he's, he's paid for my life. My life is his. And so now I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to release in all circumstances. I'm going to mine every bit of the richness of the Spirit of God so that the fullness of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness show up when I choose, when I activate this joy that's within me. And I choose not to grumble, but I choose to be joyful. And I move into these situations and I will shine like a star. And, and Paul says at the very end, if you read the first last few verses, which we'll begin again next week with, he basically says, if you do this like a parent to his children, if you do this, you'll bring me joy. Your father in heaven will look like he saw these little kids and he'll go, man, I'm so... And you know what? And I'm not saying you don't go through hard times. You don't go grieve. There are some here who are wrestling through things, and yet the joy is not so much the, the smile on the face, but it's the radiance of the fact that I am God's, His possession, and this life is not all that it is. And I will just turn to Him, and I will seek His grace in the midst of this difficulty, and I will live with the knowledge and the truth that this God is present for me. Now, I'm going to share with you as the worship team comes forward, I um, just want to close because I want to challenge us to activate this joy in you both personally and as a congregation. And uh, as they do that, I want us to make these three commitments, but I'm not going to ask you to do them now. I'm going to sing, and then when we come back up, I'm going to ask you to do this. But I'm going to ask you to make these three commitments if you want to do it. I agree grumbling and complaining and self-pity is a sin. I agree with that, and I would commit to the fact that I believe that to be true. I will commit this week not to grumble, complain, and whine about anything. I had one person after me said, you know, if I take that out of my life, I'm, I'm going to be looking at people saying nothing. I said, well, if you do. And I commit to not promote or tolerate a complaining spirit within myself or in others that why is that a free. And I, and I say if you have a platform and basis to do that, be careful. But I'm going to do something here that I did first service. I'm going to say, let's give ourselves permission to say to one another, that sounds like a complaint. That sounds like you're whining. And I'm going to ask you, if you didn't get one of these bracelets, we have them in back, these little bracelets that just say, um, rejoice always, uh, pray continually, and give thanks. And every time you wear this this week and you remind yourself, I won't, I won't, I won't complain and I'll choose joy. I won't complain and I'll choose joy. And when you fail, just remind yourself again, you know what, I'm growing. That's what the green is. You're growing. That's good. 